Way back in the 1500s, hitched was a common word used to describe how you attach a horse to a wagon. Now, fast forward 300 years, and in 1837, the word hitched became popularized as a way to describe marriage. Hmm. I wonder what happened in those 300 years. Right? And for some of you, that's a really positive thing. And for others of you, that's kind of negative. I guess it depends on who you're hitched to. But I'll tell you one thing we all can attest to. The way our culture sees marriage, approaches marriage, talks about marriage, and the way people do, is changing. Isn't it changing? I mean, it's changing right before our eyes. Let, let me read something to you. This is from a poll that was taken back in October of 2018, just last year, reported by The Sun, which is a UK news publication, and they polled 18 to 24-year-olds. And this is what they found. 24, 25%, rather. 25%, one quarter, of all 18 to 24-year-olds say that the problem with marriage is, quote, it's so final. <laughs> You should be able to easily untie the knot. You should be able to try before you buy. Interesting. They said marriage should be temporary, like a rolling contract with an option to renew or at least to upgrade like you do a phone. <laughs> now, some of you are appalled by that, and others of you are like, ain't a bad idea. <laughs> I think the problem I think the problem with how we approach marriage is that we have yet to really experience marriage the way God intended us. And God would know how marriage is supposed to work because he thought it up. God invented marriage. If you think that anybody that would know how marriage is supposed to work, then it would be the one who invented marriage. That's God. He would know what's best. Well, let me suggest this to you. I believe seeing marriage as God does helps you experience marriage as God intends. Very simple way of putting it. When you see it, like the one who created it sees it, then you are set up to experience it as God who created it intended for us to experience it. That's what this series is about. And starting today, over the next four weeks, our desire is that if you have a good marriage, that this will help you have a great marriage. And if you have a great marriage, we want to help you have a greater marriage. And if you are struggling in your marriage, we want to help you have a better marriage. And if you are at the point where you are saying our marriage is basically shot, it is over. It is on life support at best. And we hope this series will help you decide to give it another chance. If you're engaged or if you're single hoping to be married, then take notes. This free premarital counseling right here. <laughs> if you're single and you're not, you're single again and you're not sure if you will ever be married, you're, you know, kind of the jury's still out on it. Or maybe you're single again and you're like, heck no, never again. Then, then you need to know this. 
Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about relationship principles that can be applied to any relationship, specifically come from the context of marriage in the series. But you'll have all kinds of things that you can learn, regardless of what kind of relationship you're in. You can apply these to any relationship setting. And if one of those categories doesn't describe you, we're not quite sure why you're here. So <laughs> now it, everybody can learn something from what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. But we're going to start today talking about how God designed marriage to be seen and experienced. I want to take us all the way back to the very, very, very beginning of creation when God created this man named Adam. And in the creation narrative, God tells us in his word through the writings of Moses that God noticed that Adam was lonely. I mean, there's all these animals hanging around, right? He had all these animals, but just not, not, not doing it. It's just like, nah, I'm, I'm still pretty lonely. I mean, even man's best friend, right? And then one day he saw a cat and it was like went downhill and like, we got to do something. <laughs> the neighborhood's just falling apart. Just, I don't know what that thing is walking around. And so the creation narrative tells us that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took a rib from Adam's side, and he made Eve. He woke Adam up. He was a little sore, a little dazed. God brings Eve to Adam. And Adam takes one look at her and is like, whoa. That's where the word woe man came Mm. It's bad. It's just bad. But you won't forget it ever. Right. Now, at first, he said something very poetic, like, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and all kinds of meaning there. But this, look at this. This is what we find after the introduction. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, check this out, and is joined. This is how God created marriage. This is how God sees marriage. Joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. The two are united into one. Get that. We're going to see it again. Two become one. Fast forward thousands of years to the time in the first century when Jesus is walking the planet in his earthly ministry there were a group of people who were constantly giving him a hard time a group of religious leaders called Pharisees and the Pharisees one day came to Jesus with all these questions trying to get Jesus to say something wrong or do something wrong and they came to Jesus with this question about divorce grilling him with these questions about marriage and divorce marriage and divorce now, I want you to pay close attention to how Jesus answered the Pharisees. Thousands of years after, thousands of years after, we're told that marriage is two united into one. This is what Jesus told the Pharisees. Haven't you read the scriptures? Of course they had. They knew the scriptures. They'd memorized most of the scriptures. He's being a little facetious here. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Now, what he's getting ready to say now is a direct quote from what we just read 
from thousands of years before. He says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, and here it is again, joined to his wife, and again, the two are united into one. Fascinating. Thousands of years had passed since the first definition of marriage had been given, and nothing changed. When Jesus was defining marriage, thousands of years after it had been first called out, right after Adam and Eve had been created, Jesus didn't preface it by saying, well, you know, in these modern times, we need to update this a little bit. Things aren't quite the same as they were way back then in those prehistoric, you know, cavemen, ooh, ah, ooh, you know, whatever that was way back then. You know, the dinosaurs are not around anymore. You know, they well, tell you, you know, we're in the modern times now. We're in the first century. We're in A.D. We're not in B.C. anymore. B.C. marriage might have worked like that, but A.D. marriage worked. No, 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 none of that. Nothing changed. Jesus gave the same definition. And then he took it a step further. I'm going to buckle up for this one. Jesus said, since they are no longer two, but God has joined them as one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That was at the end of your, your marriage ceremony, right before the kiss. You know, and so most people just kind of gloss over that part because you got the kiss, right? You got the kiss, and everybody's looking for the kiss, right? And the kiss is like the prelude to the fun stuff, right? So you get right, you get right past that. Let no man split apart what God has joined together. That's how, that's how serious Jesus takes marriage. In fact, Jesus takes marriage so seriously, it makes make most of us feel uncomfortable or at least half of us. But interesting, nothing changed, nothing changed. We have to see how God sees it in order for us to experience it the way God intended. Now, fast forward one more time, this time not thousands of years, but just decades, just decades. Paul the apostle is writing to a group of Christ followers in Ephesus. And he describes marriage like this. As the scriptures say, wait a second, here we go again. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Nothing changes. From prehistoric times to the first century to later on as time began to evolve. Two are united into one. So as a result, the way God designed marriage and planned marriage, you could almost say God's formula for marriage. Are you ready? Here it is. It's real simple. Is one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. Now that's marriage math. That's marriage math. And God came up with that. It's the genius of marriage. The genius of marriage is how two very different people, often very different, can become and live as one. That's the beauty of marriage, the power, the strength of marriage. It's actually what's behind the longevity of marriage. That's why you better be careful who you want up with because God sees it as one and done. One plus one equals one. You're like, oh, that's a lot of pressure. No, 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 no. No, the, the whole deal of one plus one equals one and that being a lifetime decision is meant to give you enough time to make it better. Is to give you enough time to get it right. Because it takes time to do this one plus one equals one thing. 
But the great challenge of marriage and the reason why we would even need to do a series on marriage and the reason why there's something called divorce and the reason why there's something called marriage counseling and the reason why all of those things exist is because in this one, (laughs) there's still two people with two different distinct personalities, two different backgrounds, two different ways of processing the world, two different ways of looking at things, two different set of strengths, weaknesses, two different opinions. Some of you are so opinionated, you have more than one opinion. You ever met somebody like that who's so opinionated, they have their opinion and then other ones that they really don't have, they just like being opinionated, right? You may be married to somebody like that, but you at least have two sets of opinions, two different attitudes, all in this one in marriage. The problem in marriage begins when the one starts living and acting like two again. If marriage math is one plus one equals one and God designed marriage to be one, then the problem surfaces when one begins living like two, acting like two, talking like two, making decisions like two, well, I got my way and I got his way. I got my way and where there's her way. Uh-oh. No, you're one. You're not two. There's not two different sets. There's one. When, when one starts spending money like two, when one starts parenting like two, when one starts solving problems like two, When one engages conflict like two. It's amazing to me, fascinating to me, how this complexity of marriage begins with one simple yet very big decision, right? I do. I do. Right? You could say it like this. It takes one big decision to become one. But thousands of little decisions every day to stay one, to live as one, to be one. Isn't that kind of crazy? Isn't that amazing how we've set this up? Oh, you two want to get married? Okay. All right. We're going to spend thousands of dollars unnecessarily most of the time. Right? I know that's not very romantic. It's just real. Spoken as a dad of two daughters. <laughs> right? Because whether you spend, you know, 50 bucks or $50,000 on your wedding, you're just as married anybody else. Right? Anyhow, we digress. <laughs> it's amazing how one decision, I do, I do. Okay, cool. Now you're one. Get that. God says, okay, gang. If you want to one-up with her and you want to one-up with him and you guys want to one-up, okay, let's do this. I will join you as one. He said, well, maybe God shouldn't do that. Well, he gives that, he gives that ability to us. And then he comes alongside and says, I will join you together. Now, know this. What I join together as one, you don't mess with that. And you don't split it up. It's that serious. Isn't it fascinating that one big decision makes you one? 
But if you're going to live as one, thousands and thousands of thousands of little decisions that you make every day determine if you stay one or not. One plus one equals one. And it's so incredible to experience what oneness in marriage is like. It's hard work, but it's worth it. See, marriages don't become great on their own. People make them great. So you have a choice to make. Are we going to live as one? We've been joined as one. Are we going to stop living like two and we're going to start living like one and make our marriage great? Your marriage will be as great as you make it. Your marriage does not have a mind of its own. Your marriage is not an it. And I hate it when people talk about marriage being an it. We hope it works out. And then as they proceed with divorce, well, it just didn't work out for us. Like a marriage has a mind of its own. Oh, well, what can you do? No, marriages don't work out because the people in marriage don't work them out. One plus one equals one. Be careful who you want up with because God sees it as kind of a one and done. It's so incredible, though, when you begin to experience this oneness. And you begin to live as one and decide as one and survive as one and win and lose as one. Hurt and celebrate as one. That you're right as one. You are wrong as one. You are just one. Now, doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It's never perfect. You know why it's not going to be perfect? You know why one is still not perfect? Because one still is made up of two imperfect people. You're screwed up and he's screwed up. You're screwed up and she's screwed up. You still got two humans trying to do this one thing. It's not going to be perfect. I'm thinking back to a, not too long ago, my wife Donna and I were at dinner. And we decided somewhere towards the end of dinner, hey, let's split a dessert. And, and if we get a dessert, that's usually what we do is we split a dessert, you know. And I think a lot of people probably do that. So we split a dessert, and that was the decision we made. We didn't talk about anything else past that. I thought, you know, it's pretty simple. We're going to get a dessert, and we're going to split it. Waitress comes up to the table and says, oh, well, we're ready for dessert. Donna looks at me and says, hey, you want to get it to go? Husbands, you know when your wife asks you a question and you have that moment and that feeling and the look in their eye, you know, there's a, I'm not quite sure where this is going and I'm not quite sure I'm tracking with her, but I better be careful what I say in the next few moments. Kind of thing. And Donna's just real sweet. Hey, you want to get it to go? You know, my first thought, and I didn't say this, was like, well, no, I just want to eat it right here. <laughs> but I didn't say that. About the time I got ready to say that, something, probably the grace of God, stopped me. <laughs> but I, so I froze. I do that a lot. I freeze. I'm just like, and this is what I said. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, this is a trick question. Is this a trick question? I mean, I, I mean, I you know, I just, I mean, think we've been married for almost 25 years. You'd think we'd get this down by now. It's not perfect. I'm not sure. And though Donna looks at the waitress and said, yes, we'd like to go, please. Thank you so much. Waitress walks off. Donna looks at me and she says, what was that? What was all that about? I said, I didn't know. I didn't know what you were. We decided to get dessert. Like, I don't know. We get it to go. I really don't want to. But do you want to? I mean, that's the whole thing. She said, okay, here's the deal. When I ask you from now on, for the next 25 years, when I ask you, would you like to get it to go? What I'm saying to you is, I would like to get it to go. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. There's more meaning. Hold on, hold on. She, she went on. And I would like some coffee with it. But I'm pretty sure by the looks of this place, they don't make good coffee. And I really want some good coffee. So I'd like to get to go. I said, that's what you were meaning? You meant all that? By just a question? You want to get it to go? And this is why I said, I leaned over. I said, here's a thought. Why don't you just tell her you want it to go? <laughs> she said, because I didn't want to go through all that. I'm trying to be considerate and I'm trying to be kind. And my wife's default setting is always that she's great. But see, you're not going to get it right every time. She's not going to get it right every time. It's not going to be perfect, this one thing. And that's just dessert. <laughs> right? Phew. Sometime in the last year, I can't remember what this special occasion was. It might have been my birthday or Valentine's Day or, I don't know, some, some special day. Donna gave me a card. And so I opened the card, and it's usually a funny type card because we like humor. And so I was reading through the card, and after she got past the you're so sexy part and all that jazz, that, yeah, I know, I know, I hear it all the time. It, she said this at the end. She said, we are perfectly imperfect for each other. Isn't that great? My wife's a genius. We are perfectly imperfect for each other. What was she saying? Well, she, well we got 25 years almost behind us. So we know this whole thing, oh, we were just perfect together. <laughs> You're perfect for anybody. I can't even be perfect for me, much less for her, right? And two imperfect people. But she looks in this card to me and says, we are perfectly imperfect for each other. In other words, our strengths, our weaknesses, the good and the bad, and all of that comes together beautifully to one. It's not perfect. Man, it's worth it. So what does this look like? Let me start giving you some other verbiage for this. This one plus one equals one. Here's what it means. It means... To be undivided and together in all things. All things. To be undivided and together. Not perfect, but undivided together on the same page, if you will, in all things. Immediately, some of you are going, well, that's just not realistic. Yeah, but wait. That's what you said you were going to do. That's what the vows are about. Remember those things? Yeah, 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 the, the things you spent tens of thousands of dollars to say to each other in about two minutes. Remember that? For better, for worse, that's all things. For richer or poorer, that's all things. In sickness and in health, that's all things. Till death us do part, that's all things for all of life. It's all. That's what you said. That's what I said. That's what we said. To be undivided and together in all things. You might be thinking, well, that's just not possible for us. That'd be nice. Oh, it's possible. With your hard work and with the help of your God, it is possible. Doesn't mean you'll always agree. In fact, you won't always agree on everything. But it is possible as one to, listen, and we're going to talk about this a little bit next week. To learn how to agree to disagree and still be one. 
You can agree to disagree because you're still individuals and still be one and be on the same page and make progress together. Some of you are like, I don't know how that works. We're going to talk about that next week. And I know a lot of people hear this kind of stuff and they're just like, man, I, I don't know about this one thing. I, I want to be an individual. I'm an individual. What about me? What about my hopes and my dreams and my desires and me, 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 me? I get it. I get it. You don't lose your individuality. In fact, being one in marriage, listen very carefully, doesn't mean you lose yourself. It means you give yourself. I want you to feel that. Let that sink in. This one plus one equals one thing doesn't mean you lose yourself. What happened to me, the girl I once was, the boy I once knew, you know, whatever. You don't lose yourself. You give yourself. That's the beauty. That's the meaningfulness. That's the fulfillingness of this journey of one. And it's not easy. But it is worth it. Trust me, I know. (laughs) It's not easy to be one with me. I'm not an easy one to one with. But it's worth it. Put it like this. You're going to pay a high price for a great marriage. You will pay a high price for a great marriage. But you will pay a higher price for a bad one. Let me say that again. I want you to let this sink in. Those of you that are like, I'm not sure it's worth it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You're going to pay a high price if you're going to have a great marriage and live as one. But you will. Pay a higher price for a bad one. Your choice. Our choice. We get to choose every day. So here's a question for you. How one would you say you are? How one are you? Or are you more like two? Or somewhere in between and hopefully we can help you start trending down to one. It might depend on the um, area that we're talking about. Because you're like, okay, when it comes to money, we're more two than one. How about when it comes to kids? You're more one, more two. How about the in-laws? That quiet chuckle. I love that. (laughs) Oh, it's going to get interesting over lunch. I've tried to one with your family, but I can't one with them. Nobody can one with them. (laughs) How about when it comes to the career, your jobs? Are you more one or are you more two? How you solve problems. When it comes to the stuff, you know, the stuff that's not important, but yet we find ourselves arguing a lot over it, like the car and the house and the vacations and the clothes and the peripherals, right? Are you more two or are you one? It is our desire to help you trend down back to one. Now, what can this change today? What can we change in marriage today? Well, we can't change much because you didn't get here overnight. And it's a process. 
We, we definitely can't change the past right now in this moment. Uh, we can't remove the pain of past, not in this moment. And we have to acknowledge that it's a process. But I'll tell you what we can do today. Here's what can change today. Today, right now, in this moment, you can make a decision to actually live as the one that you said you would be. Today, you can make a decision. You can decide. And then once you make that decision to be one, then it helps you become more aware. Now, wait, are we acting like one here or are we acting like two? No wonder we're having problems. We're acting like two instead of one. Let's become one on this. Well, I'm good with becoming one as, as long as one is like me. As long as one is what I want. No, 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 no. You're not thinking one. You're thinking two. You're thinking me and them, them and me. One. You decide, you become aware, and then you commit to making adjustments to one. If you would just do this, if you would just leave here doing the math in your head, okay? This is one of the most difficult math problems you will ever do. This is this one right here. And here's the deal. Christians, listen. This is true for everybody, but especially true for Christians. Satan knows how to do math like this. And he knows that if you ever can figure out how to live like this, you'll have a marriage that won't be perfect, but will be so strong and so great, which will lead to a strong, great family, which could set a whole chain reaction off in your family for generations to come, all because a husband and a wife got on the same page and decided to actually not be, just be one, but live as the one they said they would be. And so he's going to fight you. Satan's going to fight you with this, and he's going to do everything he can to pull you back to two, to pull you back to two, to pull you back to two. You got to just keep doing the math with each other, for each other, alongside each other. One plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. One plus one never equals two in marriage math. One plus one always equals one. That's how God sees marriage. And that's how we can experience it if we choose to. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how you fight like one. Okay? Because you're going to fight. Every marriage fights. Every relationship fights. If, if you're not fighting at some point, there's other issues going on, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Healthy marriages have people who fight clean. Unhealthy marriages have couples who fight dirty. But you're going to fight, and it's possible to fight like one. Then the next week, we're going to talk about how to stand together like one. Here's what we mean by that. Life's going to pull you apart. People are going to pull you apart. Situations are going to pull you apart. I mean, it's just time and attrition and exhaustion and humanity over time. The pull and the drift is always back to two. How do you stay and stand as one in the middle of all that? We'll talk about that. And then in the final week, we're going to talk about how you personally are actually better as one than you are as two. You are actually better wanting up with them than you are going alone as two. So we got a lot of ground to cover, but it begins with knowing the marriage math. And you're going to meet in your small groups this week, and you're going to discuss this because this is a group series. 
And as you discuss these things, I want you to listen to what the other couples in the group are saying or other people that are saying you know, what they experience in the group because you're going to find that you can identify a lot with what they're going through. And you'll have the opportunity to encourage each other, to pray for each other, and to pray with each other as we all learn what it means to live as one. One is worth it. One is worth it. So do the math. Let me end our time by praying for you and your marriage and my marriage and ask God to help us commit to the marriage math. Dear Father, thank you for the simplicity of oneness. And yet it's so hard to do, it's so hard to live out, it's so challenging because there's still two people trying to figure out how to be one. So help me and Donna in our marriage to do the math. One plus one equals one to be undivided together in all things, all things. And Father, help me and help every single person here in a marriage or in a marriage to be or maybe one day or in whatever relationship they find themselves. Help us to take this principle to heart, but specifically in our marriages. Satan does everything he can to pull us back to two. It doesn't take much because we're naturally bent to two. Father, help us to decide like one and live like one and conflict as one and celebrate as one and hurt as one and be right and wrong as one and love as one. It's not going to be perfect, but it is possible. And for every struggling marriage, give them hope and give them strength and the determination to be one. To do the hard work. Do, do what it takes to be one in all things. Help us all take your definition of marriage the way you see it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen.